Blog Talk Radio. Yakuza! Yakuza! Yakuza Kick Radio! 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 This is the bulldozer Matt Tremont. And if there's one place to listen to on the internet every Thursday, 9 p.m., Yakuza Kick Radio, Tremont says so. Who wants some? God help us, Jesus! God and baby, Jesus! Help us! Ladies and gentlemen of fucking America, this is Danny Havoc, and you have been listening to, or possibly are intending to listen to, the Yakuza Kick fucking radio. Fucking, yeah! Yakuza Kick radio. Hell fucking yeah! My name is Justice Payne, and you are listening to Yakuza Kick radio. You're coming to come on Thursday night, this is a brotherhood, and we all stick together. Like my nuts. I ain't scared of you, motherfucker. Yakuza Kick Radio, the best in internet wrestling radio, period, bar none, just like Adam Cole. Everybody's a cunt but me in the world. I don't know what it is. But you go to the back, and you tell your boss that there's a new Yakuza in town. And it's Yakuza Kick Radio, and we're taking over. Yakuza Kick Radio has risen from the ashes of bad internet radio and become the premier place for any independent professional wrestler to stop and record their voice. Well, this is Mr. Insanity Toby Fine, and if you're not listening to Yakuza Kick Radio, then you're weird. Oh, I don't like the cut of your jib, fella. This is Greg Excellent, bearded dragon of the Northeast. You're listening to Yakuza Kick Radio. If you're not, probably watching porn, you have this muted. You should be listening to it. Jason Mann. Where are Biggie and Tupac? Yakuza Kick Radio. Give a nigga rope on that cowboy, guys. All you have to do is listen to Yakuza Kick Radio, but you got not Now look at that guy. You only fuck that. Black dude. Bullshit, man. Motherfucker. Fuck you. Fuck you and fuck you. And now, ladies and gentlemen, for the introduction. Hosted by J. Cat Morris. You are now listening to Yakuza Kick Radio. Welcome to Yakuza Kick Radio. I'm your host, J. Cat Morris. Uh, yeah, I'm back doing this shit again. Uh, yeah, it's, it's always a you know a little stretch in between shows these days. Uh, I just don't get around to it. I have so little free time, and uh, you know, by the time I get back at shit, it's uh, it's been a bit. So um, yeah, you know, a couple things to go over. A couple days, I'll be 44. So um, you know, I'm gonna go up to AC for my birthday. Uh, down the AC, I guess you call it. Um, you know, just hang out a bit. But uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Another year in the books. Good shit. Um, what else can I say? Um, just been busy overall. You know, work, constant work. Uh, you know, home stuff, all of that. Training, doing everything I could do. Uh, you just run out of time. You know, you, my nights are short. And then uh, one day off and shit, so you know it goes, it goes fast. So I lose track of time. The um, NFL's been continuously crazy. You know, trades popping off left and right. I don't even remember which trades happened since the last time I was on the show. So I, I don't even know what to go over as far as that goes. 
But um, let me see what else goes on. Uh, Scott Hall passed away. Uh, that that sucks. You know, it, it was one of those things you, you kind of saw over the years, like, you know, as so many guys are lost in especially professional wrestling suddenly and, you know, tragically. Scott Hall was always one of those guys that were like, yeah, he's he's going to be one of the, you know, the ones. And he, he dodged that quite a, quite a bit. He made his uh, recoveries on multiple occasions and, you know, was doing well for himself, you know, a lot of times. Um, so it's a shame, you know. It's he's To me, Scott Hall definitely could have been, like, the best big man. I mean, he, he fell just short of, like, that giant status, you know. But, um, I mean, he had, he had a lot of athletic abilities. Charisma was through the roof, which didn't come – but a lot of those big guys, you know, a lot of those big guys are just goons. But, you know, he had, he was a smooth motherfucker, man. He, uh, you know, he had his shit down. So, yeah, I, and it's funny because just last show I was, um, I was talking about X-Pac and how I wasn't really a, a fan of X-Pac. And apparently I gave X-Pac credit for the Shawn Michaels, Razor Ramon ladder match. Um, <laughs> Because, again, like, I'm I'm no wrestling historian. I could probably, um, you know, go back and forth with people on CZW history and shit like that. But, you know, beyond that, I'm not a whole lot of a wrestling historian. I, I know some stuff on the indie side of things for the most part, but I would never claim to be um, well-versed in, in that. And I, and I even knew that match it was a match that I liked, but somehow I removed Shawn Michaels from it and put X-Pac in it, so... Um, <laughs> but yeah, rest in peace to, to Scott Hall. I mean, that's that's a rough one for sure. Uh, you know, the the Outsiders were a dope ass team. That was um, you know, the a big part of what was working for WCW when there was the WCW war. What is that WO? What's the driving force behind WCW having, you know, some kind of edge? You know, WWE was doing their shit, but, I mean, they were battling against a very popular faction in the NWO, and then what they started doing with Goldberg and all that stuff. You know, they they had a brand over there, for sure, and the NWO was such a huge part of that, and obviously, you know, no bigger part of the NWO than Scott Hall. But, yeah... Again, I'm I'm no uh, wrestling historian, so I'm not the guy to listen to if you want someone to reflect on every inch of somebody's career. Uh, he was a, definitely a guy I was a fan of. Um, you know, his demons for years. It's it's a shame to see guys go that that young. You know, I don't even know you know what his age was or any of that, but um, clearly not not the age you should be dying at. But um, yeah. Um, what else we got? Let me get into these topics over here. Uh, Shaheen threw some topics at me, so let's go into these like this. Uh, Kanye and Pete Davidson, that whole shit is crazy. Uh, Kanye had got into it with uh, D.L. Hughley, because I did, guess D.L. Hughley was making jokes. And then he, he said, like, right on Twitter, like, that he could afford to hurt him. Like, he's on some wild shit, man. It's it's not going to end well. Um Kanye's pretty much, I was, I was talking about before, and you think about, like, when he was on Drink Champs and shit and the tangents he would go off on, and just, 
I mean, every show he's ever on, not just Drink Champs, but talking about that interview specifically. And, you know, he's he's pretty much the black Teddy Hart that doesn't um, have to lie about his money. You know what I mean? <laughs> because he's that fucking crazy and delusional, but he's got money to back the shit that he says. You know what I mean? So more dangerous by quite a bit. And, uh, yeah, that's that's just how I see Kanye at this point. Like, he's just he's just nuts. And it's not going to end well because, uh, you know, he's, he did, literally has the money to hurt motherfuckers. The only problem is he keeps saying that shit. So when you keep saying that shit, if anything happens to these people, I mean, you might as well just start building the fucking jail for yourself. Like, you know, it's... He's not doing shit in any kind of, like, smart way or anything if he plans on doing something. Just wild. But, um, yeah, that that whole saga is nuts. I, I don't know what he's trying to accomplish. I know at first he was pretty much taking the Trump stance where he was like, yeah, now, now, we're going to get back together, and now it's all good, and then, uh, you know, she started dating dude, and he's like, oh, I'll get a girlfriend. That'll make her jealous. And she's like, ah, cool, yeah, I got a boyfriend, too. And then he flipped the fuck out, and she's like, I mean, we're good. I don't... <laughs> she moved the fuck on. He couldn't deal with it, though, you know? So he continued to deny and deny it until it got too deep, and then now he's just pissed off and threatening people and shit, so... so. Something's about to happen. Um, Zandig, man. Uh, so Zandig signed on for a convention that's at the um, arena tomorrow. It's funny because the the actual convention is run by Rob Weinstein, a guy that Zandig has vowed to never, ever work for again. And uh, clearly, this is a version of working for him. Now, it's a vendor that brought in Zandig. So I understand that the guy who's directly paying Zandig isn't Rob Weinstein. So I guess he equates that to not working with Rob Weinstein. But if you're working at a convention that, that he's running, um, you are essentially attempting to at least bring more people there for you, which would then put more people in the building at his convention. So you would be making Rob money if you brought one single extra person that just wanted to see you to the building, which personally, I don't believe he will. I'll I'll be surprised if anything remotely close to that. I'll tell you like this. If he brings one extra person to the building, it'll be like uh, Brian from fucking uh, fucking IWA Tri-State or whatever the fuck he calls himself. Um, that'll, That'll be the one. That uh, outside of that, he's not gonna. The, the thing is, is John's really, really delusional. You know that Trump shit really fucked his head up. Between the CTE and the fucking Trump shit, the dude is off his fucking rocker. And it's a shame because you know I clearly am a John Zandig guy. And you know, ain't shit about that for the most part has changed. Now it's it's hugely disappointing to see him take this turn. And the shit that he spouts off and the racist shit and this and this. The thing is, is like, you know, I'll always use DMX as an example. I, I still rock DMX's music. I 
I was hoping he died while he was alive. I, I hope that when he did die, he suffered. I hope he suffered in his addictions. I, I hope he suffered every fucking turn of the way. And and people will be like, yo, how, that's fucked up, man. He's dead, this and that. Every one of those fucking dogs in his care suffered. So don't don't get fucking mad at me being okay with somebody suffering that was okay with so many animals suffering. That that's that's just how I I roll. I don't you know what I mean it's that's not me being a dick or me trying to say something that's shock value and this and this. This is this is legitimately how I feel about someone who showed no regard for lives of animals. You know, so that that's just how I feel about that. But I can I can rock his fucking music and and love that shit. You know what I mean like. That old Zandig shit, he he had this portrayal as this badass boss, didn't take any shit. When his fucking music hit, shit was about to go down. Whether he was about to come out there and grab the mic and tell you, you know, fuck this guy and fuck that guy and I'll tell you what's going to happen fucking next month and we're going to build this fucking cage. And he was going to say some old wild shit. He was going to say something extreme. He was going to throw down a stipulation for a match. It was going to be no joke. Something about what he was going to – he was always the opposite of what DJ Hyde, you know, turned CZW into. DJ's music hit. No one was excited. It usually turned into fucking boredom or something bad or him being part of a match, and no one wanted any of that shit. He always had him staring at the ceiling while he awkwardly tried to make an announcement. Even if you liked the announcement, him giving it was ridiculous. But John Zandig was the opposite of that. He only came out there if he had some shit to say that was worth saying. He only came out there if he fucking wanted to talk shit on somebody or, you know, he, he was he was a bad motherfucker. But he, he never even considered, like, politics being part of this guy's life. He, he didn't think anything in that direction. He didn't give you a hint of that shit. So there wasn't, like, this overwhelming, like cult following shit you had to deal with if you, if you were into John Zandig and what he put out there, that, that shit wasn't even a, a thought. The guy that we're dealing with now is just another fucking human being, and I understand that's the same person and this and this, but I, I could say that the, the entire time that I watched and enjoyed John Zandig's career and his shoot interviews and all of that shit, I mean, I, I listened to this motherfucker talk you know, part one, two, and three of his fucking shooter interviews didn't have a hint of politics in it. You couldn't talk to this guy for fucking 35 seconds now without him bringing up politics. Fucking way. So you got to understand that this is just a different fucking human being we're talking about. And I could celebrate that guy that I used to fucking go and see and, and the shooter interviews I used to watch and all that. There's a line drawn, and when he jumped over that, that's a dude that I don't support anymore, you know? And that's that's a guy that, you know, I mean, I, I would wish that he could fucking rein his shit in and just at least be celebrated for his accomplishments as John Zandig or who he was instead of creating this whole new fucking persona, this public gimmick of just this nutty Trumper. Like, this dude was never a follower. He never, you couldn't tell him what to fucking do. It's it's fucking strange. And now, like, th this shit is really pathetic and, and desperate. So what he's doing there is he's signing autographs, but not only that, he's he's issued um, not really a challenge, I guess, whatever the fuck you want to call this. Sideshow fucking circus bullshit. Um... 
fans bring $20 and get to staple it to his head. And that's that's about the most pathetic fucking sideshow bullshit I have ever fucking heard. You know, this guy spent years and years defending deathmatch wrestling, standing in front of fucking lawmakers trying to fucking shut him down in Jersey, and explaining to people that he met that they're professionals. There's a difference between some of that old backyard shit and what they do out there. And they know what they're doing. They they have a lot of calculated risks that they take. And they know how to do this shit because they're professionally trained athletes. And they're, they're uh, schooled in this. And it's done in the safest manner possible despite being, you know, elements of danger. This is like, and, and I don't know that those are exact words that he said at any point. But he did have to continuously defend that against any naysayers. Not only lawmakers, but... Any naysayers of, oh, that's garbage wrestling, that's this and that, you know, John Zandig would, would defend that. This isn't, you know, for everybody. Anyone can't just do what we do, you know. And now he's got fans stapling fucking shit to his head. It, it's, it spits in the face of everything that he's fucking done. And then working for Rob Feinstein despite telling everyone he'll never work for Rob Feinstein. That's technically yeah you're not working for him because he's not paying you directly but you know it's i explained that part of it already but like look so i made a comment on this thing saying that you know he's going to be standing there with 80 dollars stapled to his fucking head uh and it's and it's pathetic but you know this again Keep in mind, this isn't just me being a dick. I mean, it might be partially, but let's just say, all right, let me read you off the guest list of this this uh, this convention. Now, there might be more people in there, but I'm just going to read off the site as I see the, the names here. The Hardy Boys, Onita, Bret Hart, Killer Cross, The Headbangers, Tony Storm, New Age Outlaws, Berserker, Nyla Rose, Lance Archer, Ultimo Dragon, Bull Nakano, Eugene, Sonny Ono, Candice Michelle, Glacier, Jonathan Gresham, Ivory, Conquistadors, Zach Gowan, Lady Frost, Buddy Matthews, Chris Masters, Kimberly, Juice Robinson, Madman Pondo, Sky Blue, Joe Malenko, I don't know who that is, Maria May, Michael Spinks, Bob Backlund, Bully Ray, Jimmy Hart, Hannah Taylor, Gilberg, James Ellsworth. So he's he's going to be in the building with a couple pedophiles that day. Uh, Enzo Amore, Kaz, uh, Lisa Marie Veron, you know, uh, Victoria, uh, Brian Cage, a- Angel on S- Orsini, uh, SoCal Val, and, and you know John Zandig. And, and the Necro Butcher. So when you see like a, a convention that's packed with people who are there to see Bret Hart and the Hardy Boys and, and things like that, how many of those people do you think give a fuck about John Zandig? And, you know, that's the thing is like I've, I've told this to this dude like, you know, in the, in the comments there because, look, I understand that, yeah, I'm bashing him because he's acting like a fucking fool. But let's not get it fucked up because – before John Zandig was returning, I made those shirts. 
before he was there was not a John Zandig return in place when I made those shirts. I made those fucking shirts and and it wasn't like let's keep it a hundred. I never made money on those shirts. Like I still have a shitload of them that <laughs> he burnt the fucking bridge on me selling because he's a nut now, so no one the fuck wants to support him. So if anybody knows what kind of business John Zandig's worth, it's me. Um and it's he's not. But the thing is, is like I did that shit because DJ Hyde was putting out a subpar product. New wave of fans were coming in that were continuously redefining what used to happen there. They they didn't actually see it firsthand, but they're buying into this hype that DJ Hyde was the one who brought in wrestling, despite best of the best being a thing long before. DJ Hyde got there, despite the backseats being there long before DJ Hyde, the Briscoes, uh, the SAT, I mean, the, the list goes on and on, a reckless youth, uh, I mean, the, the amount of actual legit wrestlers that were in CZW on a regular basis, long before DJ Hyde ever got there, you know, would, would speak for itself. And I continue to defend that. And I continue to defend John Zandig's CZW and why so many of the storylines worked out better and, and the, the Lobo-Zandig feud and how that was how it should be done as far as a boss and his involvement and, and you know, the type of fucking work that you would have to put out to be respected as that boss that also has a spot on the card and so much that I continued to bring up. Guys I continued to bring on the show that would reflect on that old CZW. Nobody was speaking fucking higher of old CZW than J-Cat. I don't give a fuck what anybody says at any given time point. Fucking Any kind of podcast that came out after I came the fuck out, came and went, and that was it. If you motherfuckers are out now and you're talking CZW or old school CZW, this, that's new shit. I was the guy back fucking, I've done this now 10 years, and, and I was the guy back the year I started that, that interviewed Justice Payne. You know what I mean? Like, I don't see too many of you guys having those interviews out there. You know, again, and, and I wasn't great at it back then, so I did what I could, but I was so, you know, excited to be interviewing guys like him. And, and when I had Mondo on years later, when he, he you know, popped back up, because he had disappeared for years after he was gone from wrestling. That was, like, such a huge thing to me. John Zandig himself coming on my show was enormous to me. That was, like, bucket list shit. Like, I I, I don't aspire to interview Ric Flair. I wouldn't, I, I don't, I wouldn't have enough fucking things to ask Ric Flair. I would talk to him about regular shit because, I, again, I'm not a wrestling historian. But my, my favorite time in the history of wrestling was my, my viewership, my attendance of CZW in its heyday. It just hit the right or level of, or lack thereof, maturity. And the party atmosphere, everything it was, and the shock and awe of the deathmatch wrestling that has now at this point been overdone, and you can't go back and recreate that no matter how hard everyone's trying. This shit was for the first time. When you saw someone come out onto the fucking roof and went, oh, 
shit, they're going to come off that fuck. Now you just walk into a building and just, like, look around, and you're like, oh, yeah, they're going to come off of that. They're going to do this. They're going to – you know, as soon as, like, the, the um, you know, big tournaments and shit happen, it's, it's so overkill that you, you can't you – just, you just can't do it. You guys need to throw everything in there to even try to compare or compete with what was – done before before that all of it was built off of that stuff you know and um you know that's that's the shit that i was defending the whole time so i know you know when it comes down to the online conversation and this and this and xander gets all fired up and oh fucking i'll fight somebody and fuck you if you want to say that and fuck you if you voted for biden and all this Ah, it, it, it's just fucking weirdo shit because, again, like, if anybody's showing up to his convention, one of the people that reminded them that he exists is me, you know? And, again, I, I think it's going to be a very small audience that's still interested. He's pretty much Virgil tomorrow, you know? He's like a white racist Virgil That that is allowing fans to staple shit to his forehead for $20. $20, like, you can staple to his forehead. And he, he said he's trying to get 100 fans. This is that delusional. He thinks there's 100 fucking fans that are going to show up at his table to staple a fucking 20 to his head. So he's trying to make, first off, he's trying to make two grand off of that. He's not trying to, he, he said, it's not just for me, it's for the fans, too, to give back, so to maybe give them a chance to do something they've never done before, never get a chance to do. Stop it. Stop it, bro. It, it, it's shitting on your reputation. It's shitting on your entire uh, self-pride. And, and it's just like some fucking fan gets to go, I stapled a fucking $20 bill to John Zandig's head. <laughs> that's, that's what you're giving back to. Who the fuck are you giving back to? Because I would say the majority of people who were actually there for all of that stuff that you were doing back then are too old for that shit. And maybe would have a little bit more respect for that shit to say, nah, I don't belong stapling a dollar bill to fucking John Zandig's forehead or a $20 bill to John Zandig's forehead. Because to me, John Zandig is a deathmatch legend. Well, who the fuck am I to be stapling shit to his fucking head? Like, that's that doesn't make any sense to me. You know? I wouldn't want to put Ric Flair in a fucking Boston Crab. Like, who the fuck? You know what I mean? He's a legend. What the fuck? Who the fuck am I pretending to do a fucking, you know, a, a move to this guy? You know what I mean? It, it's like even even the thought of... You know, it's like roles reversed and shit. Like, you know, sometimes when you're you're taking pictures with wrestlers and a wrestler will put you in a hold or something or put you in a headlock while you're taking pictures, you wouldn't have the wrestler in a fucking headlock. I remember um, back in the day we went to one of those big uh, conventions and shit, and uh, Iron Sheik was like a little side table vendor guy. And uh, I think that was the, the convention that they brought in. Um, it was Sable... Goldberg, Undertaker, and um, Sable, Goldberg, Undertaker, and uh, the Big Show, but he was the giant still in WCW. 
And um, he was just like chain smoking in kids' faces. And <laughs> it was fucking, it was ridiculous. But um, but yeah, like those were like the main guys. And then like it was just like a big wrestling, you know, convention, like memorabilia convention shit. And I think they had like some kind of metal crossover shit in there too. But um, uh, yeah. So then Sheik was a uh, one of the side tables and shit. And uh, my friend at the time, Stan, old old. Uh, show listeners will know who Stan is, but um, he he got a autograph picture with him or whatever, and he asked Sheik to put him in a fucking camel clutch, and he did. And he like he fucking like wrenched it on him too, because again, it's like a little bit of that thought of like, oh, you think you want to be part of what the fuck we do? Here's how this shit is, and like he's like, dude, my fucking back hurts. I'm like, well, dude, you had a fucking wrestler put his move on you, like. He he shouldn't leave you walking away going, like, that shit doesn't even hurt. Like, you see that shit he's beating everybody with? He put it on me, and it doesn't even fucking hurt. Like, that that would be a terrible thing to sell your gimmick, to sell your product with. Like, you're underselling yourself. I, I don't understand that shit at all. So I, I think it's a fucking goofball thing to do. Um... You know, to have people fucking stapling shit to your head. And and I honestly do think he'll get, like, fucking four or five people. You know, maybe eight people or some shit like that. Like, that dude's not getting more than $200 stapled to his fucking head. I say 80 bucks because, like, I, I honestly think four would be uh, about right. And I honestly also don't think he's going to be there all night. Because it is run by RF called him a pedophile like 12 fucking times since they booked him for that fucking thing so he's gonna say that shit a little bit too loud in the building and rob's gonna throw him the fuck out like because it's just it's his convention like and look man i'm with you i don't fuck with rob i don't like i don't like anything about that dude but you're not gonna be like in his fucking in at his convention just openly burying him like as loud as possible, that motherfucker knows how to stay away from me. Uh, all right, dude. Like he can just get you the fuck out of the building, and that he'll be plenty away from you. You know, I think him and Necro are gonna find some kind of like uh, Proud Boy alliance, even though they they previously didn't like each other, because they're both nutty Trumpers. So um, I think that'll uh, that relationship will better. And then like he's posting pictures of Onita, him and Onita shaking hands. Telling people, like, if you go see Onita, tell them to come see John Zandig because we still owe the fans a match. And it's like, bro, like, you know, <laughs> that shit, and ain't nothing like that happening. Ain't nobody fucking looking to see that these two old men battling. And Zandig doesn't have the money for any of that shit. That's, that's not, like... I don't care how fucking mad you are that he backed out years ago or whatever the fucking case was, but that's what he's he's delusional about his his actual current role, popularity, um, his actual draw, and that's the thing is like these motherfuckers like I understand look that that whole shit CZW did back then was special, and you saw a lot of those guys aren't alive anymore. Um, and then a lot of them disappeared just on their own. Like, they just went away from the fucking business. Lobo, Wife Beater, like, 
guys like that just dis- disappeared. Rick Blade, you know, like just disappeared, and you just didn't hear from them again. It's like they didn't exist anymore. Um, Life Eater popped up a couple times and stuff. Lobo was just gone. Mondo was just gone for a while, and you know he went to Japan, but clearly he could have communicated and stuff, and he really just needed to disconnect from all of it. And he, you know, he said later in shoot interviews and everything else that. I think on my show that he really needed to distance himself from it to keep him from doing it again because he he knew he, he needed to get away and be done with it and being too close or involved in any facet would draw him back in. So, you know, these guys had to take this hard, like, break away from it. But the people who did that, although, yeah, maybe they saved themselves. Maybe they saved their, their actual lives but, I mean, you think about it, Justice Payne did that, too, and it didn't, in the end, help. I mean, it didn't give him a better outcome, which, I mean, you know, no one's safe this, in this world or in this life. You know, everybody, you know, has their, uh, you know, their things that could take them off this planet. I mean, it, it could happen to anybody. So it's, it's not like, you know, flawless uh, move to make or whatever, but I'm just saying, like, you know, the people who separated themselves from it, maybe most of them were, you know, smart in doing so and, and knew better for themselves to just kind of just start new like it didn't even happen. But, you know, on the other side of that, which, again, if your safety and your life is, is hanging in the balance of that, fuck your reputation, fuck, fuck the money you're leaving on the table and all that. But the money you are leaving on the table is just that. John Zandig didn't turn himself into a fucking brand and, and continue to market and sell that, he disappeared. He fucking went away. Like, he sold it to DJ and went away. When he finally came back, I mean, he was like, I, I had gotten on the phone with John Zandig before I had him on the show. This was, like, months earlier. And um, I think Brian put him in contact with me because I had, um, you know, I had made those shirts and he thought that was awesome and you know, uh, Brian brought him a shirt over there, and he took a picture with it and all that shit. And that shit, like, was so cool to me. But um, when he was starting to think about a comeback, he, he he got my number, and he called me. And he was like, you know, what's what's good right now? Like, what, you know, what's uh, what's the hottest shit? Who's, who are the guys out there? And, you know, I'm sure, again, I've said it before, but I'm sure he knew – you know, through other people, too, because even when I said his name, Joey, he's like, yeah, I've heard about that kid, whatever. Uh, a lot of people are saying, like, another Trent. And I'm like, yeah, um, that's that's the vibe I got, you know. And that was one of the people he wound up, obviously, the, the person he wound up coming back into the feud with. That was, like, his return. And, again, I, I'm not giving myself credit for that match happening or any anything crazy like that. I'm just saying, like, he was so clueless to anything that was going on, like, he was asking me, like, you know, what, who's, who's what, and what's what. So, it shows you, like, that he just went so far away, you know. I don't care if I'm the 12th person that told him everything I told him that day. I'm not trying to take credit for telling him or enlightening him on, on anything. I'm just saying he was he was looking for opinions and thoughts because he was he was disconnected. He was very disconnected from it. Which, you know, it wouldn't have been hard for Zandig to play a minimal role 
in in any of these other companies, including CZW. For him to have come back in in a, in a minimal role and, and play some kind of just kind of on-screen personality, you know, like they could have built to a match if they wanted to. But in the in the meantime, he could have been just doing, you know, mentoring, you know, some young guy and, you know, you know, do one of those things where he, he's the new commissioner or some shit, and he comes out and starts telling people, this is what I say, motherfucker, you know, like, and, and being that guy up against DJ. I mean, that, that would have worked so fucking well because there were other people, especially on the early side of selling it to DJ and everything. You know, take your little break away, but then bounce back and, and continue your brand just off of involvement on the, on the light side of things where you don't have to worry about, you know, running an entire show. You're you're technically talented at this point, but you're keeping your name fresh and out there and all that, you know. He didn't do anything for his own reputation. And for years, he was just like, you know, the legend Zandig. Like, I wonder if he'll ever come back. And it was like there was so much allure and mystery to, like, what would happen? What if he was here? Or, you know. So when he finally did... I think he built himself up too fucking much, and so he leaped off the roof, broke his back right off the bat, and, and cut his whole fucking run short. But, you know, it, it's it's a tough thing, because, like, yeah, these, these guys, they put themselves through so much, and they, they did so much in their career. A short career, really. I mean, because when you look at, you know, what it was with the Indies and the CZW... You know, it was a handful of years. I mean, Mondo was like three years. Three, four years, something, you know. For what it was in CZW, I'd say three, you know. And he's still a legend for what it was, but you got to look at the audience you're talking about. You want the, the, the legend to grow and continue based off of this core audience that you had. But, but again, like, I don't think he did himself any favors for that over the years. So now when he pops up this many years later, how many people even know? I don't know. Yeah, it, it'll be um it'll be interesting, but you know, to to be a fly on the wall at that fucking convention, man, because that dude is is likely to get into it with fucking a whole lot of different people. Like he's I mean, he can get into it with RF, he can get into it with Onita, he can get into it with... Um, I mean, again, I, I really think him and Necro are going to be immediate, like, best friends again. Not that they were ever best friends, but I think they're going to come to, like, a way quicker agreement since they're both Trumpers and they'll have the same hat on and shit. They'll do that fucking Spider-Man thing. They point at each other and shit. Sorry if you can hear that. I'm eating jelly beans. Fucking. Um. Oh my god. Um. Joey Janela going heel. Yeah, I think it's good. I think it. You know, to me, like the the whole um heel thing to me. I think it works best as someone who can be a face and turn heel, and you know the people that are doing the whole kayfabe follow the storyline thing can be like, I can't believe he turned heel. Like, 
and then be like the baddest motherfucker on the planet and like you know undeniably the bad guy but a guy that they used to love i don't like how like people who suck just got lumped into being heels like everybody hates you yeah because i'm a heel no 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 that's that's a different thing that you're doing you're just not good <laughs> it shouldn't be that way um i saw some shit with um joey leaving aew um i guess his contract's up in may and um there's some talk about like him him having heat backstage and and um, they said because he broke uh, Eddie Kingston's orbital socket with a super kick or whatever, but yeah, I'm not, I don't know. I don't think he did himself a lot of favors on the early going, and I had said that throughout that I don't think he took himself seriously enough. He had this real like when he signed on, he had this real, you know, <laughs> I'm rich, bitch, <laughs> kind of attitude, like. That, like, nobody could touch me kind of attitude. And I don't think that was very impressive. I, I certainly wasn't impressed as a fan, knowing what he's capable of. And I think he's doing a lot more of what he's capable of now. The thing with Joey, too, is although, like, yeah, you might have heard Eddie Kingston with that, and you know I love Eddie, so this isn't a slight on anybody, Joey or Eddie, but um, I don't think Joey's known for hurting people. I think Joey for a long time was known to be sloppy outside of the ring when Joey would be on commentary and he's just a mess and you could tell how fucked up he is and he'll tell you how fucked up he is on the commentary. And I think that type of shit hurts his brand. This is, you know, some of this uh, has, has a current theme, you know, with the brand. I think that, that is what you are, though. As far as a professional wrestler, you're, you're promoting yourself. You're, you're your own product. So what you put out into the world is is your brand. You know, you you can't be strung out on fucking cameo like Gage and then, you know, turn around trying to be the baddest motherfucker on the planet when you grab the mic. Like, dog, I saw you in the streets looking crazy, you know, spitting in the camera and shit. Like, it's not a good look, you know. And by the way, this, this is old shit I'm talking about with Gage. Still hoping everything is going great with him. He's fatter than ever, so I hope that means sober, more sober than ever, and great, fantastic. That's how I'm rooting for you. Um, and his schedule is still very limited, so uh, that makes me think. Oh shit! Let me see if that. I think it's good. I think it just opened a new window. My keyboard fell off the desk. Uh, let me see. All right. We good? Yeah, we good. Um, but uh, yeah, so, but I, I don't think Joey is known for hurting people. I don't think he's known for being sloppy in ring. I really don't. I, I have no problem calling people out on that shit, and I've seen enough people that are just completely reckless in the ring. And I don't think that that's been his mo. I think if he's been reckless with anybody, it's himself. You know, some of the, the crazy, nutty fucking bumps he takes, but that's on him. That's not like, oh, well, every time people get in with their... He's not Nia Jax. So, I think that was somewhat of a fluke thing, but it didn't rub them the right way because they had Eddie in a high position and Joey in a low position. And I and I really do think the early on Joey um, display wasn't a good look. I just, I just don't think it was a good look. I think if... 
if the Joey that he is right now came into AEW that way, you know, trying to train a little bit, not being, like, wasted publicly like that, not, you know, fighting Enzo Amore on a fucking boardwalk somewhere, you know, really, like, taking his shit seriously, I think he'd be main eventing shows. I think he'd be high on their card. I really do. I think he would have had the fucking Adam Cole spots that Adam Cole ended up showing up and taking. But, you know, obviously not that specific spot because he had, you know, people they teamed him up with or whatever the fuck that he used to hang with. But I'm saying I think he he was supposed to have a a bigger role than he did. And at the time that he came in, he was kind of just reckless with himself. Again, not with others. And he was being painted into this corner as this guy who would just do nutty shit. Who was just kind of wild and, you know... And I, I just don't think it was a good look. So, I think Joey's going to continue to crush it on the indies. I, he seems, um, from, like, the interviews that I've seen him, you know, do and talk about, he, he seems like, yeah, I'm going to make more money on the indies or equal money on the indies. I'm just going to have to work more dates. You know, but I think this he could pick up such momentum that as long as he's on some kind of good terms, he could re-enter that company at a much higher level. You know, he, he could he could definitely uh, make way bigger waves than he even has at this point because he's he's now hitting shit full stride, and and I, sometimes you just need to kind of break and reset. You know, to to get that shit back on. I talked to um, Joey real quick online, and um, I'm gonna have him back on the show. Yeah, over the summer. So I'm looking forward to that because, you know, he's a guy that he, we've gone a lot of routes. You know, we, we've he's been on the show quite a few times. And he's a guy that I always liked. But, again, when, when he was falling short of my expectations for him, I wasn't happy about it. And, you know, I would I would continue to to make that uh, a known thing. I um I will clown people who do not take themselves seriously. Especially when I have high hopes for them. When I when I have um when I'm in their corner, and then they start doing shit that I don't think benefits them, I, I got a problem with that. You know what I mean? It's so I'm not going to speak highly of people when when they're doing bad for themselves. And if they're taking themselves seriously and trying to you know strive for better, I'm in their corner. It's when they don't take themselves seriously and they. You know, just, you know, they're on cruise control. Motherfuckers are blowing past them. And they're the motherfucker with the faster vehicle. So, I don't know. But, yeah, I'm excited to talk to Joey again. I have a lot of good shit to talk to him about. And I think we'll have a great conversation. Um, uh, the Bing Bong remix with Busta Styles and Fat Joe. That shit is dope. Um... Gorilla Nems threw remixes down for that Bing Bong shit, and shit is fire. Namely that one, for sure. But, um, yeah, he put out, like, a, kind of like an EP or whatever. It's uh, It's got, like, three versions or four versions of that, plus the acapella, plus the instrumental, or whatever the fuck you want with that. But, um, some good shit. Um, now, let's go into some rap shit. Um, 
If I need to butcher albums on my shit. Again, like I same shit with Conway and not as bad though. Conway shit to me was real real slow and lazy and I couldn't stand it. Um couple good tracks but that's it. But um yeah, I I didn't think it was good. I didn't think the Benny was that great. A couple decent tracks, but yeah, just just nothing to write home about. And and I think these are these cats are starting to follow this this uh this pattern that we've seen for years and years and years. All that early hungry shit, dopest fucking music you'll get. As soon as motherfuckers start cashing them big checks, that shit ain't it's not it no more. So I hope that that we'll get some rebound albums. And I hope that, you know, we'll rebound with some projects that are just next level. The shit that we were used to. The shit that, that sold us on these cats to begin with. Because they're both nice. But, uh, you know, we'll we'll have to see. One cat I will tell you, you got to fucking watch out for. Coming up, and I think it's April 3rd. Let me, let me double check on that fucking date real quick. Cause I, I want as many motherfuckers as possible to go and check this cat out because he's um he's on another level as far as I'm concerned. Um a lot of these cats they um they're oversold. They're they're um just April fifth, I'm sorry. I was trying to find that date while I was talking. They're um they're overhyped and and the product doesn't match up with the fucking hype. This cat I don't hear shit about, but I'm telling you, the music he's putting out is insane. Most of his beats he makes himself. He's been doing beats for years for other people, too. Um, He's out in New Orleans, but he raps like an East Coast cat, as far as I'm concerned. Um, And Ferris Blusa, it's uh, Revenge. What the fuck is it? What's the name of the album? Revenge is a Confession of Pain is, is what it's called. April 5th. Check that shit out. That dude is is, is real tight. Um, another rap shit I want to talk about. The game is on Drink Champs. Now, I love Drink Champs because Nori's got a great formula there. He gets these, these rappers drunk and then they start talking shit. The game... I don't know what the fuck's wrong with this cat because... He did the first hour of, like, a three-hour fucking interview where they was drinking and shit. Um, first of all, Game's a fucking alcoholic. Like, this fucking dude's, like, chugging bottles of, like, tequila and shit. Like, this this dude's out of his fucking mind. Like, I don't I don't know what the fuck's going on with his liver, but he, he's got some fucking serious tolerance, man. That, that dude's got problems. But for the first hour of this shit, uh, of, like, a three-hour interview, this dude wore a ski mask. I don't, yo, like, look, I'm not a street cat. I, I, you know, I'm about to be 44 years old. I got three kids. I work six days a week. And, and I mean, I don't, I'm not in the hood. So, you know, pardon me for not understanding, but what I used to know of ski masks and people in gangs and shit that would wear ski masks, they wore ski masks when some shit was about to go down. They, they wore ski masks because they wanted to hide their identity Okay, so first off, ain't shit about to go down. Cause you're about to do like a three-hour interview with Nori and DJ EFN, and 
you're you're also not trying to hide your identity because they said the game is on the show and we know who the fuck that is. So I'm not really 100% sure what you're trying to convey with the ski mask. He had ski mask, sunglasses, and gloves on. Gloves on. Like, like, like he was about to shoot a motherfucker in the studio and have no prints. Like, bro, you, you're on camera right now. Like, you're sitting on camera with them going, this is the game. What's going on, man? It's like, cool, man. And it's like, you got fucking, why are you, why are you tinted out right now? Like, this shit don't make no motherfucking sense. It's like, it's like tinting, like limo tinting out a whip and then just driving it in the middle of the Christmas parade. And it's like, if you wanted to be seen, why the fuck would you? And wearing like the dopest costume ever on the inside. Like, you got the, the illest Santa costume on the inside of the limo tinted out whip. Nobody could see that shit. Fuck what the fuck's going on? Like the whole purpose seems backwards. So I don't know. But he starts talking crazy and shit. And uh apparently his whole fucking thing was like going at Eminem talking about like I'm better than him and this and this. So a lot of people, you know, kinda latched on to this and started up their, their bullshit with with M. Now I I just I have a strong feeling on on the whole topic because as far as I'm concerned Eminem is absolutely one of the best rappers of all time I mean you just have to look at Rhyme's skill what he's capable of doing find the tracks that just just have lyrical content find find the ones that you know he, he puts it down right now the thing is is look I'm not the biggest Eminem fan because I think a lot of times, and, and I think what hurt his career, and I don't think hurt his career financially whatsoever. I think this actually helped his career financially. The goofball shit, the the silly shit, the I'm just saying this shit to make people go, oh, you heard him say that shit? Like, just silly, silly shit. He did too much of the silly shit for real hip-hop heads like me. I'm not on the side of really hating on motherfucker like like a lot of people are because I I am a fan, but I can't say like yo I'll listen to an Eminem album any of them from front to back because he's gonna have some silly shit on these and, and it's just it drew attention from like the the teenagers of whatever year that that came out whatever year that album came out. It had some silly shit that was going to grab teenagers' ears, more or less. Because it was shocking, it was offensive, and and just silly and shit. So, I think that hurt a lot of his credibility as far as when you talk about hip-hop. And I think his overall legacy as just a rapper has been hurt by that. Now, his finances haven't, as I said, um... I, I and I think that doesn't do a, a fucking thing to his actual abilities, and and you know the scope that he hit and the, and the numbers that he moved and all of that shit. So that's this is why I'm saying like I still think he's one of the best rappers out there. 
would I put his catalog up against anybody as far as like my my personal likings? No. I can definitely put together some. I have playlists. It's like you know Eminem playlists that are my own type of shit that I like from Eminem. But you know, I I, I um. I understand to a certain extent why people would just like shit on him or say like, "Yo, nah, he, nah, he he can't he can't rhyme with this one or that one." But I mean, you you got to be able to look at lyrical ability and what he could fucking do with that mic. Because to sleep on that dude and say somebody like the game is gonna fucking beat him in a versus battle or, or even come close to matching him in a versus battle, he's got too much known shit. Versus battle alone. That's like hits versus hits. You cannot fucking tell me that the game has more hits than Eminem. You, you, you would be really fucking just ignorant to say that shit. Fuck, if you like more songs that he made than fucking Eminem, you, there, you can't fucking say that he, 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 could, he could put it on better. You just, you just can't. And if you're talking actual battle, lyrical battle, come on, man. You know that shit ain't, that's not even fair. So that's that's how I feel about that, but um, you know, in game was a dude. He was on that fucking uh, what was that fucking show? Change your heart or fucking blind date or one of them motherfuckers back in the day. So some of that shit looks real weird, you know, with the ski mask at like forty five years old. You know, and I don't doubt that he's really doing stupid shit out there because he seems stupid. And I like the game. I like a lot of his music. I wish him and Fifty didn't get fucked up, but. I think he had to stay humble in that situation, and he couldn't. You know? I, I think when it came to the whole G-Unit shit, he wanted to be just as big as 50, and that just wasn't going to happen. That that 50 was going to be the leader of that fucking group. You know? And there was a pecking order there, and I don't think Game wanted to adhere to that shit, and it just started getting dusty in that motherfucker. So nobody was able to hang out together because just they couldn't coexist. Um, I think Papoose needs to be start being talked about in the greatest of all time conversation. And I know that shit sounds crazy to a lot of people. You know, right now, I, I definitely, you know, I give Jay-Z the nod. But when you start talking about um, catalogs and um, accomplishments and shit like this, you're not talking about, like, uh, you know, award-winning accomplishments. But what I'm talking about is, you got to understand, like, right now, there are, I mean, Biggie is always going to be talked about as, some people say, the greatest ever. He was alive for, what, like, the first album, obviously. The second one, I think he passed before it came out, right? It, it was right around... That time was fucking hazy, so I, it was right around the same time. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, those are the albums that we're talking about. Yeah, he had other stuff. They put more albums together, um, but that was compilations off of stuff that was already pre-recorded and this and this. I'm talking about dudes in there making fucking albums. So you're talking about that. Papoose last year put out 
one album every single month for 12 fucking months. Over 70 new fucking songs in a year. And, like, you can't fuck with him lyrically. Like, when it comes down to what he does lyrically, you can't be like, yeah, there's songs, but they ain't like songs. I mean, the amount of fucking effort and work that he puts into his fucking lyrics and his content and his creativity. He's got all these different gimmick songs where he raps, like, every NBA team. There's another uh, one like that that he does every fucking, like, all the serials and shit he goes through. Like, there's so many different things he did just, like, catchy, like, gimmicky kind of shit. There's bangers that he put down in every one of these fucking albums. There's some, like, like uh, thoughtful, like, um, you know, conscious type of shit where he'll, he'll try to break down some shit because he's real intelligent. Um, there, There's, you know, like shit that can go in the club, shit that can, I mean, you know, I don't think that you can shit on these albums. I, I don't think that if you were actually listening to this shit for content with an open mind and, and not being like, yo, fuck that dude, that you would not find a track on each one of these albums that you liked. So now when you put out months in and month out without skipping a fucking month, 12 fucking albums in a year, how are we not talking about this guy like he's a phenom in, in the world of hip-hop? How, how is this guy not being mentioned? Because we're talking about greatest of all time. You start hearing the same names over and over. You hear a lot of um, Pac, Biggie. Um, some people, you know, Jay-Z will definitely come up a lot. Um, but then, like, when you start hearing new names, uh, names of new people, I've heard people say J. Cole. I've heard people say uh, Kendrick Lamar. I, I, don't, I, I don't see what the fuck y'all see over Papoose in either one of those cats. You know, and I'm not really taking anything away from them, but in the same token, like, why why does fucking Papoose, who, to me, is far more creative and original than either one of them, uh, I, I, I can't imagine why he wouldn't get the, the same level of respect where people are starting to bring his name up in these conversations. And, you know, because not only did he put out these fucking 12 in one year, when his shit came out, when his when he first dropped, he was doing something similar, and it wasn't quite twelve and twelve, you know, twelve and twelve months. But I mean, he was dropping mixtape and mixtape and mixtape uh, with K. Slay, like, I mean, mixtape murder and charades and uh, election day, like, I mean, this, this dude, like, it was consecutive. For a while, it was almost like K. Slay's regular launch mixtape was just another Papoose album. And then, like, he'd have his, his other ones, like, almost quarterly and shit, like, you know, or maybe a little bit more than that. But, like, he was putting out, I think, more Papoose than he was putting out anything else. You know? Um, I don't know, man. I, I really think if you put a compilation of shit together, I mean, you would have a fucking catalog. You would have a deep-ass catalog of Papoose shit that, that you could talk about. Um, I mean, even, like, when you went back to those old albums, he would take motherfuckers' beats, he would take, like, a ludicrous beat and just abuse it. Like, the lyrics that he would put on, on a beat that was already established as a hit, and, yeah, you know, I don't want to say, like, freestyle, 
because the dude, you know, I mean, he's writing his shit down, but the shit that he would lay on those fucking beats blew away what you already heard on those beats. Like, the the artist who actually originated that beat and made a hit out of that beat didn't have shit for that beat the way Papoose did. And that's that shit, man. Like, his his and his respect travels through the fucking game. You hear about some of the major players in hip-hop when they talk about, you know, this cat and that cat. And when Papoose comes up, there's high praise. You know, I I just think there needs to start being a lot more conversation of that being um part of part of what we're talking about. And best of and uh, greatest ever's and, and all of this stuff. Because I, I just, I think the catalog is so fucking deep and so severe. Like, this ain't, this ain't light shit, man. This is not just like a fucking uh, little Yachty fucking record and shit where I don't even know what the fuck he was talking about. This is some deep shit. You'll listen to his fucking tracks. He'll have that shit that'll have you fucking breaking personal records in the gym. He'll have some shit to have you thinking about some shit. You know, I mean... Yeah, I I think there needs to be a lot more talked about that. Um, uh, There's another uh, Shaheen question. Uh, uh, Transgender person, man to woman, wins number one in women's swimming. Should men that turn into women be able to compete in women's sports? Nah, I don't think so. I think it's... um, I, I, I think, you know, genetically we're very different. And when it comes down to the structure of an athlete, I think... um. You know, the way you're born is, is different. You know, there's advantages and disadvantages towards, you know, the, the structure you're born with. Um, you know, I, I think um, we should probably have a, a transgender um, category, you know, because it's hard to just say, like, all right, well, I identify as this, so I'm going to go with them. Yeah, but, you know, the the level of competition isn't the same then. It, it's, it's it's like you can't just go, ah, oh, Jordan says, he, you know, like Joanna Man and shit. You can't, like, yeah, I'm Michael Jordan, and I, I'm a female now. Okay, so you just dominate the fucking NBA? Like, or you don't even have to be Michael Jordan. You'd be fucking, uh, you could be Tony Kukoc, and you'd be the fucking man in the WNBA, you know? Or the woman in the WWE. But that shit ain't right. You know what I mean? Like, you, you can't just fucking do that. I don't think you should. I don't think you should be able to. And I don't think that's biased. I think that's actually protecting the women who, who exist in this sport. I don't know. That's just me. I don't, I don't fucking know. I'll make the rules so whatever the fuck's in place already is, is what's going to keep happening. Um... XBW tournament in LA, give a fuck at all. Nah, man, because the um the whole shit with this uh XPW re it's one of those things, man, cuz I'm not like super bitter about everything that used to go on in CCW like you know, but in the same token XPW, I didn't I didn't like anything about the way that that shit went down because you know, I was a CCW fan. I was in fucking Philly, in that fucking building, 
that they stole. Where it was like, you don't get to come back to this building next month because XPW came and paid more money. Oh, and by the way, Justice Payne doesn't work here anymore because he went to work for them. And M-Dog and, and all that. They went to work for them. And it was like, what the fuck, man? Like, you know, oh, and, and that Messiah, yeah, they cut his fucking thumb off. Like, you know, this shit got real. <laughs> this shit got real crazy. And honestly, Messiah is still a guy who uh, I fucking respect. If you look at what he does as a father and, you know, the way he loves his family, um, I, you know, I don't know him personally outside of what he posts online and everything, but I, I get the image of a fucking good guy. And, and I don't like that, that somebody tried to take that shit away from him, you know? So, I, you know, I, I'm just not a fan of it. Like, they're going to really have to do some insane shit, like... Uh, you know, really over the top, which I don't even know what you would do at this point because everything's been done. But they can't just run neck and neck with other deathmatch companies and have me give a shit. They, they, they're going to have to work harder than that. They're going to have to do something exclusive to them that's, that's uh, you know, worth looking at. But that's, you know, that's just the way I think. I'm, I mean, I'm not interested in most shit anyway. As far as wrestling goes, like, there's so little that I actually watch. So, I, I yeah, XPW, I would, if it winds up online and really nothing that they've put out thus far has, I think there's, like, uh, TV episodes that are online, which I don't know what TV they're on or what, but... um I would watch, like, the finals of a tournament. I think they're having that torn the deathmatch tournament where I'd watch the finals of that just to see what's fucking, what's the pinnacle of, of what you're putting on here. What's what's your big finale of your big tournament? You know, because I would imagine it's something. So I, I would just be interested to see what their big finale is on, on whatever they're putting together. Um, outside of that, and, and, you know, and again, like, the, the participants don't even matter. I mean, they obviously do to, to see whether I give a fuck about it. But I'd watch it just, just the same, just to see how it comes out. See, you know, what goes down. Um, Circle 6 show, if I've saw, seen any clips, I haven't. But I have the um, Masada-Atticus-Kogar match from that that I've been meaning to watch, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch that soon. Um, because I think that's a really cool matchup. Um, they had a, their first matchup and fucked each other up. So I think this is this is going to be a, a good one. So the match is like at least 20 minutes. So I'm sure they go in on that. Um, yeah, G-Raver's still battling with fucking Tremont and stuff, and they're going back and forth, and G-Raver's throwing up screenshots of uh, merch money that was stolen from the students and all this other shit. It's fucking madness. I just don't think that any of these guys are good guys for the most part. Fucking G. Raber, fucking Tremont, any of them. Um, yeah, I don't... Let me see what else. Yeah, fuck all of that. Um... Oh, yeah, 
Jeff Sam was asking me about animals and, uh, you know, that I haven't really covered much of that. Well, I mean, I'm <laughs> six days a week is, is all I do. So a lot of times, you know, when I come on this show, I just, I'm, I'm doing something else, you know, so it's not that, um, that's not part of what I'm doing or anything like that, but, um, yeah, it's hard to figure out like what part of what I do I want to, you know, put into this, you know, or make make a, you know, part of this show or, or what form of it would be entertaining. Um, it's it's tough, you know. I, I have some that, you know, I uh, Pitter and Patter were two kittens that I took from our Newark branch who were very hissy and um, very antisocial. I took them in and, um, you know, from our Newark branch down to our branch in Lacey, and um, they were out in our front area, and they were still just not making any progress. They weren't logging any kind of progress. They were just kind of staying antisocial. They'd hiss at you. They'd lunge at you. They weren't really doing much else, but they were very uncomfortable with being touched or handled or anything like that. Um, but they were really attached to each other. They'd wrestle each other. They'd sleep together. So you didn't really want to separate them. And uh, our front area up there is the only place that we had a cage big enough to, to keep the two of them in. So I kind of made the decision, all right, I'm going to bring them back to my area. I'm splitting them up into two different cages. And then I'll let them play together every day when they get together, you know, when I'm doing their cage and stuff. I'll, I'll put them together, let them wrestle, play, all of that stuff, and then I'll split them back up. And I did that every day. And um, just the one-on-one interaction between me and them boosted their confidence and their um, their temperament so, so much that they blossomed so fast. And from there, I mean, they, they went home together about two weeks ago. So, I mean, you know, stuff like that is, is why, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta learn as you go. Like this, this shit doesn't come, shit doesn't come easily. Um, it takes a lot of real hands-on work and uh, figuring out what works. There's trial and error, but there's also, you know, when you go through time and do this for as long as I have, in May it'll be 21 years, um, you, you learn through past trial and error some things that work better than others. And, and, you know, you really just try to adjust things as you go to make sure that you make less errors as you go. Um, and that, that takes a lot of time. And, um, you know, now, now they're in, in very good hands because those guys are in a home and everything else. And, you know, this is part of my, my whole mission, you know, with, um, with cats I just, I truly firmly believe that cats do not belong outside. I, I don't think that, uh, you know, eight or 50, even 15 pound animal, like a cat, that's a domesticated animal. That's, that was domesticated by humans. And then we've just decided that they're good enough athletes. Look at how they go out there. I, I, you know, I've taken feral cats and I've seen them go from scared, defensive, uh, survival instinct based animals to an animal that is comfortable and laying comfortably without fear. And that, that very same cat is now interested in playing is now interacting with humans in a way that it wouldn't dare before because it was part of the survival instinct to stay away from you, to, to defend themselves against you because you were, you were one of the things that could hurt them. But, you know, when you form a bond with an animal and you, you 
show them that everything's safe, everything's going to be okay. You can bring the the most comfortable, most adjusted, happiest version of that animal out of them. And that that's what I believe in, you know. Um, I think when it comes to wild cats, I mean, 90% of them can be tamed. And some of that shit would take years. Some of that shit would legitimately take years. There's a lot that needs to be normalized about. Um, so a very common thing that's said when you walk into an animal shelter or when people walk into an animal shelter is they'll tell you, I want one that picks me. Here's why I think that entire statement is a fraud, um, because 90% of the time, what they wind up picking is the friendliest cat in the room. That, that cat didn't pick them. That cat picked them and every other person that walked through the door. And you, you just wanted to make yourself special in the process of taking that cat home. Um, my version of the cat picks you is you go and talk to the caretakers. You go and you talk to the, the, the caretakers of these animals. And, you know, find yourself a good caretaker. Make sure that they know what they're talking about. Make sure that they know um, these cats and the shy ones that are, that are very sweet but take some time to come out of their shell. Take one of those cats on a recommendation of uh, one of the, the caretakers in a shelter or a rescue. Take that shy cat that needs to blossom and come out of their shell. Put that cat in your house. I, I mean, I could tell you you know, tips and tricks on how to adjust these shy cats into your house. Sometimes you might want to start off in a dog crate and set that up like the cage they lived in in the shelter and adapt that cat through that, that crate until you're able to leave the crate open. That becomes their safe space, and, you know, then they, they retreat to that when they hear noise. And maybe you get used to feeding the cat in that crate, before you know it, you take out the litter box, and the only reason they're going back there is, is just to eat. And then before you know it, you move your food bowls over. Maybe if you have other cats, move your food bowls over closer to where your other cats are eating. You know, they don't have to be right on top of each other because you don't want to crowd feeding spaces. You don't want, you know, them eating too fast, vomiting, that type of thing, uh, or, you know, trying to compete. Um, but to adapt these cats into your house. Now, when you take these cats into your house, and you adapt them over months' time, now you get to understand how a cat picks you. When you invest that time and energy and warmth and understanding to their struggle, to their situation, and, and fear and adaptation to their new environment, and when they pick you, and now this cat snuggled up on the couch with you, the one that was scared of you a month ago, that cat picked you. If you're looking for a miracle when you walk into a shelter where the shyest cat in the world just comes climbing out of their, their cubby hole, it's not going to happen. That's not, not a real reality. Um, so that's just my personal opinion, and I, and I think that really needs to be normalized. You know, imagine you know, taking a cat home that's so shy and fearful, it won't come anywhere near people, but it's been sitting in the shelter for a, a year because of that. It's been sh sitting in the shelter for a year and a half because of that. You could be that cat's answer. You could be the one that takes that cat home and allows them to blossom in your house, whether it takes three months, whether it takes a year. That cat's just in your house and just doing its own thing, and you kind of just coexist. You change the litter box, you feed them, and, and little by little they get more and more comfortable with your your bop, your your whole way of life, your your day to day. 
And as they get more adjusted to your day-to-day, you get adjusted to their ways, too. And then you go, oh, you like this type of toy. Let me get you some more of that. Oh, you like a laser light. I'll sit on the couch and play with the laser light, and you can run up and down the hall. You don't have to, like, actually interact with me one-on-one, but you'll know I'm the guy that does that. Oh, you like these type of treats? Oh, shit, I'm the guy with those treats. You know what I mean? Now, you start forming this bond, and that, that takes work. And to me, that's special. At the end of the day, that's special that you were the answer for this cat and look where he's at now. And then you can reflect on that. Remember that scared cat that was in the litter box in his cage that hissed at me when I walked by it? I turned this cat into my best fucking friend in the world, and now we could talk about who chose who. That's that's what I think needs to be normalized a lot more, And, and I could clear my fucking shelter in the right way you know, where, where the right people come and take these animals and give them chances at a home and a future. And, you know, look at this, guys. Half of this time, it's, I mean, if you get, I mean, 20 years would be a lot to get out of your cat, you hope. But, you know, 15 years, I mean, you're talking 15 years for this, this, this animal's universe. You take home a five-year-old cat, 15 years, it's, it's such a it's such a quick amount of time, you know. Once you start moving in life, before you know it, a cat's 16, and you're like, "Wow, I don't even know what I'd do without this cat." That's you. You just made this cat's entire lifespan, his universe, fucking legit. You you've you fulfilled an animal's life by giving them that that 10 to 15, maybe closer to 20 if you're lucky, but. You know, this this is shit that I think there needs to be a lot stronger messages out there for. So uh, hopefully that fulfilled um, the animal talk that you were looking for. Uh, Jeff, I, I, uh, I really appreciate, um, you know, people who are interested in that. And, um, yeah, I covered a bunch of little different things. Uh, like I said, this will be my last 43-year-old podcast. Uh, next one will be 44, unless I take a really long break, and then maybe it'll be 45. But I'm not, <laughs> I'm not planning on taking that long off. But um, but yeah, maybe I'll talk to you next week, the week after. Check out, I got your five stars podcast with Professor J, um, doing his thing over there as always. Um, fuck else? Check Shaheen out always. Uh, he's got a break the apocalypse. And uh, Planet Mondo, he does. I think I got both of those names right. Check him out. Always uh, nuclear heat graphics. Uh, do you know? He'll do commissions and all that shit over there. Check him out. It's my guy. And uh, yeah, I mean, let me let me find this motherfucking outro and be out. Right, I think that's about all I got. And uh, appreciate y'all. Peace. Talk to y'all later. Have a nice night. Stay dry. It's raining again. I'm tired of rain. Makes my grass green. I won't complain about that. That's all I gotta say. I'm out of here. I love all of y'all and, uh, shit. You're all a bunch of fucking assholes. You've been in the gym, bro. You know why? 
DJ Hyde, fuck you. You don't have the guts to be what you want to be. You need people like me. I'll listen to your, to your podcast and I'll find everything out. You know what I mean? You need people like me so you can point your fucking fingers and say, that's the bad guy. So, what I make you? Good. Black cheese tell me, tells me all the time to listen to what you got to say because you be blazing people. And I'm like, well, I got to hear it now. <laughs> you just know how to hide. Me, I don't have that problem. Me, I always tell a truth, even when I lie. The Juza Kick Radio. Jesus! So say good night to the bad guy. I'm gonna tell you something straight off the motherfucking press. I ain't coming for no foolishness.